And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal, the full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And the bull market is back, baby. I tell you what, just can't imagine what happened yesterday. Or really, is the bull market back? That's going to be really our topic today uh, as we follow up on Jerome Powell's speech yesterday. Of course, Jerome Powell uh, having a press conference yesterday made some very interesting statements. Now, importantly, we now are in a blackout period for two weeks. So we're not going to hear from any more Fed speakers now for two weeks until their next meeting on December the 14th. But yesterday, Jerome Powell talking about what we kind of already suspected, a slower pace of rate hikes. That was inevitable. But the key sentence that really sent the markets into overdrive yesterday was that he's now worried about over-tightening, right? Now, just a couple of months, about a month ago, we were writing an article where at the last uh, FOMC meeting, he said, we're, we're not concerned about over-tightening because we have the tools to, to fix that if we actually over-tighten. Now, all of a sudden, he's, over, he's worried about over-tightening. What the market missed is, is what's he worried about all of a sudden, right? Uh, of course, yesterday, Chicago PMI, that's the Purchasing Managers Index, had a very sharp decline down to 37. Employment in that region completely dropping off. ADP yesterday also reporting weaker than expected employment numbers. Those also starting to show a decline in non-tech areas. In other words, there was 100,000 losses in the manufacturing sector. Now, again, we've been talking about all the layoffs in the tech sector, which, again, that's kind of not surprising. During the 2020-2021 ramp up, as everybody was jumping into Zoom meetings and Peloton bikes and all this other stuff, those companies all ramping up employees. So they actually had an overabundance of employees. Those tech companies now kind of just returning to normal levels of employment, but that's where all the layoffs have been so far. Now, all of a sudden, starting to see that spread into other areas of the economy. Is that something that Jerome Powell may be aware of, uh, particularly with this Friday's employment report coming out? He's already got the data for that employment report. So what's that number going to tell us on Friday? That's going to be the next big question. But nonetheless, yesterday, a very, very sharp advance in the market, up 3.1% uh, uh, for the day on the S&P 500. Now, while that seems like a huge number, it is, by the way, but don't forget that we had a 5.5% jump after that CPI report just a couple of weeks ago. So again, big jump, but not near, but not as big as what we saw just a couple of weeks ago with CPI, but doesn't mean anything. Markets did get above the 200-day moving average. The 20-day moving average has now crossed above the 100-day moving average. All that's very bullish, right? So that certainly gives the market a good bit of support here, um, particularly as this kind of advance progresses. We've, we've talked about previously that our target for this rally was between 4,000 and 4,100. We're getting close to that. We were at 4080 yesterday at the close, pretty much. Uh, this uptrend in the market remains very, very uh, steady at this point. There's not been a real violation of this trend so far. The 20-day moving average continues to be very important support for the rally. Um, again, though, up above the 200-day moving average, this is going to get a lot of bulls excited. The good news yesterday was that we were very close. We talked about this yesterday morning. Very close to this market triggering our MACD sell signal. Now that sell signal has been a very good indicator 
of market weakness uh, all year long. Every time that sell signal is triggered, it's been a good opportunity to reduce risk get out, uh, and, and raise some cash levels. That rally yesterday kept that signal from triggering. So we're still in bullish mode at this moment for the market, suggesting this market could try to work its way higher. Now, we've been above the 200-day moving average before. Back in March, we overshot the 200-day moving average by about 3%. So that was certainly encouraging back there in March. We were like, okay, the correction's over. Back into a bull market, got above the 200-day moving average. It didn't last very long, of course, as the Fed was hiking rates, starting to talk about quantitative tightening, and inflation was really starting to show up at that point. Uh, that led to the bigger decline in the markets. Since really June, which is where we kind of set that low for the markets, we haven't violated that low. We've really kind of been just holding in here uh, at these lows ever since June. So the market's been pretty much consolidating now for the last six months and we just have really not gone much of anywhere, just kind of trading sideways, still in that consolidation range. Even though the market's above the 200-day moving average, obviously that's a bullish sign. Nothing, uh, you know, again, nothing right now at the moment to be overly concerned about. Markets are, are, are doing just fine. Markets, though, do remain in a very big consolidation pattern. Now, what we'll talk about this morning, Michael Leibowitz will be joining me to talk a little bit more about you know, the, the Fed speech yesterday, what Jerome Powell said, how the markets took that. But the thing is to remember is that what Jerome Powell said mostly yesterday was is they're going to continue to hike rates. And what the market kind of overlooked a bit was that they may be actually hiking rates further, right? That terminal rate may be higher than what markets are currently expecting. But again, and the Federal Reserve saying, hey, we're still going to hike rates. Just do that at a slower pace. 50 basis points in December is the expectation now. 75 basis points completely off the table. So that gave the market some idea that, hey, maybe the Fed's, the, the thought by the bulls are at least the Fed may be closer to the end of this rate hiking campaign. You're going to start doing, you know, stopping this tightening process, uh, tightening monetary accommodation, monetary policy. Uh, but one thing we'll talk about this morning when we come back from the break with Michael Leibowitz is that Jerome Powell is not going to like this rally because, again, what rallies do in the markets, and particularly when you have this type of a rally, that, re that eases financial conditions in the marketplace. So that makes it more difficult for the Federal Reserve to achieve its goal of getting inflation down. Remember, their, their big move here is to get inflation down to that 2% target. But every time we ease these financial conditions, it works against the Federal Reserve. What the Federal Reserve wants is tighter monetary conditions. They want slower economic activity. That's what brings down inflation. And every time you get these ripping bull markets like this, uh, all of a sudden, <clears throat> that kind of reverse, everybody gets more confidence. Everything's fine. They go out and spend more money. Hey, we're finally through this. That's not what the Fed wants. The Fed needs less confidence, not more confidence at this point. But again, this is, uh, again, good move yesterday. Certainly keeps this kind of bullish uptrend uh, intact. But we're moving into the first two weeks of December. Well, we've talked about this before. 20% of mutual funds have their distributions. The first two weeks of December tend to be sloppy in terms of trading activity. So we may get a little bit more of a rally here for a couple of days. Market sells off a bit. What'll be key is holding that 200-day moving average. We need to, to retest and successfully uh, test that 200-day moving average from above it, hold it, and then rally back higher. That's what didn't happen back in March of this year. We kind of came down, tried to test it, failed, and just started going lower. 
we if this if this is bear if this bull market is going to continue we need to have a successful test of this 200-day moving average markets turn up break out start moving higher if that's the case then we can certainly look back and say yeah the bottoms are probably in and we need to start increasing exposure but we've got a long ways to go to get there uh, yet 41 4200 remains our target right now for the end of the year we'll see where we are by the time we get there all right, quick break. We're going to come back. We'll pick up with Michael Leibowitz, get into what the Fed said yesterday, what Jerome Powell uh, implied, why the market took the way they did, and then also talk a little bit about positioning as we start to head into year end. Uh, that's coming, all coming up this morning on The Real Investment Show. Get by our website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Richard Rosso has his reading list out for the holidays. So if you're looking for some good books to give to your uh, friends and family, you know, those things that open like this. Um, <laughs> we have a list of good reads for you uh, on the website at realinvestmentadvice.com. All right, quick break. Be right back. Don't go away. Investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. In 1999, a parafiduciary group of financial advisors were busted by corporate giants for trying to operate in their clients' best interest. These men promptly escaped from a high cost margin environment to the Houston Energy Corridor. Today, still excoriated by their former employers, they survive as protectors of others' fortunes. If you have a problem about preserving capital, if no one else can help, and you can find them right here, maybe you should hire the RIA team. The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. I'm Rose Lance Roberts. It is uh, 6.17 on this first day of December. It's my wife's, my lovely wife's birthday. Happy birthday, babe. She is uh, 39 again this year. <laughs> um, you know, we always like to be optimistic on the show. You know, optimism is always a much better way to go than walking around worrying about the end of the world and doom and gloom. And, you know, if you are having a tough, you know, year this year so far and, are looking for a bit of optimism, I have some for you. Things could be worse. You didn't lose $32 billion in a month. <laughs> so if you think your portfolio's down right now and you're, and you're worried about being down, you know, 5 10% for the year or whatever, you didn't lose $32 billion in a month. Sam Bankman-Fried, of course, uh, with FTX on DealBook yesterday. Of course, that's causing a lot of ire because... Sam Bankman-Fried, of course, the head of FTX that is now bankrupt and under potential investigation. Um, he was on DealBook um, with Andrew Ross Sorkin making a statement yesterday, apologizing, basically. He says he had no idea what was going on. This was very Enronish, by the way. Uh, back with the smartest guys in the room, this whole story about Enron, if you remember this whole saga, of course, that was right here in Houston, so we were right in the middle of it. Uh, all the executives were like, oh, we had no idea what the traders were doing, but they had incented the traders to do exactly what they did. Um, 
Sam Bankman Freed, of course, saying, hey, I didn't really know what was going on. It just got out of control by the time I realized it, you know, it was too late. Now he's down to $100,000 and the credit card. So he's got one working credit card left. So, again, optimistically, your life's not that bad. <laughs> no matter what you think, it could be worse, right? All right, welcome to the show this morning. Michael Leibowitz, as always, who also lost $32 billion last month. My <laughs> not even close. Not even close. <laughs> but unlike Sam, I'm not going to jail. Yeah. Month, <laughs> and you have more than hopefully. one working credit card, right? Fingers crossed. <laughs> so uh, yesterday, I thought it was very interesting. Uh, Jerome Powell uh, giving his speech, and uh, you know, it, it's always you know interesting with Jerome Powell because usually he's very hawkish, uh, has been lately. Um, you know, just to remind everybody back in August, the markets were rallying. We were having a very nice rally in the markets. And right before, like 15 minutes before Jerome Powell's to give his Jackson Hole speech, he scraps his whole speech, writes a very short statement, comes out and basically kills the market and says, hey, we're not even close to hiking rates, uh, finishing hiking rates. Now, what was interesting is, is that the FOMC meeting last, the, the last FOMC meeting, uh, Jerome Powell said that, hey, you know, made kind of basically made that same statement. You know, we're not near hiking rates enough yet. We, you know, we think there's more to go. And 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 it was interesting. That was a very absent statement in this speech he gave yesterday. And now talking uh, and, and now changing his stance on previously, he had made the statement that he wasn't worried about over tightening monetary policy because they had tools to combat over tightening. Now, all of a sudden, and this was the key statement that really sent the markets into overdrive yesterday, was that they are worried about over-tightening, um, which was a pretty interesting change in the statement uh, just from uh, what he said at the last FOMC meeting. Your thoughts, Mike? Yeah. I mean, that, that was one of the uh, positive things that Powell said. But, but, you know, I think largely what he said was known. We knew that the Fed was very close, not very close, but close to its terminal rate. We don't know whether that rate is five, five and a quarter, or maybe five and a half. No one really thinks it's going to be six or seven percent. And, you know, unless inflation stays where it's at, which is not expected uh, by, by the Fed or almost every economist. So uh, he didn't break too much new ground, but he did acknowledge that if the Fed tightens too much and too fast, they could break something. And that's, you know, we've been talking about that for six months and a lot of people have been talking about. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I think the market heard what it wanted to hear, but there was a lot in that speech that the market should be concerned about. And uh, Nick Timoros is a Wall Street Journal reporter and probably more importantly, he's the Fed's mouthpiece. When the Fed wants the public to know something, he's the one that comes out and says it uh, most of the time. So, you know, whether you like Nick or not, you have to read what he says. One of the things that he pointed out is that Powell may not have intended to ease financial conditions. And by ease financial conditions, we mean let the stock market rise. When that happens, it tends to have an inflationary effect. It, it people are more optimistic. They feel more comfortable spending. Now, I know it's not one day does not change financial conditions, but it does have an effect on it. Lowering rates when rates came down, as they did yesterday, it eases financial conditions. And what he basically said was that his comments about avoiding 
you know, instability, about avoiding unnecessary weakness, basically over tightening, overshadowed some of his other concerns. And, uh, you know, I, I think the market focuses on the wrong thing. It's not when's the Fed going to end, when's it going to pivot, but a QT, you know, not really much mention of QT. That will continue. That will continue to pull liquidity. But what does the second half of 2023 look like? Right now, the market thinks the Fed is going to ease rates by somewhere between a quarter and a half. Now, so if you listen to what what Powell has been saying from day one of this tightening cycle is that he is extremely concerned we're in a price wage spiral. In other words, prices go up, employees ask for raises, they get raises, companies raise prices, employees ask for raises, and you get this spiral that becomes self-fulfilling and it's very hard to break. And, you know, again, it's something we can debate all day whether we're in a price wage spiral, but it doesn't matter. Powell thinks that there is the makings of a price wage spiral. All the conditions are there. He's not saying we have a price wage spiral. He's just very concerned that one is starting. And one of the comments he made yesterday is that the natural rate of unemployment is now higher than it was in 2019. There were over 2 million extra retirees in 2020 and 2021 you know, mm-hmm. because of the pandemic, COVID, for whatever reasons. Yep. So the natural rate of unemployment is higher. That means there's less supply of labor. And according to him, it's their ability or their room to ease is less than it was before 2020. So if they would have high grades in 2020 like this, they had more room to ease then than they did now. So the market is thinking that we're in a 2019 environment. And what he's telling you is that things have changed. Unemployment being this low, the tightness in the labor market is a big problem and it's going to keep an inflationary bias. And again, you know, the Fed wants to get inflation at 2%, Lance. Mm -hmm. We're still well, well above that. And even if inflation starts falling rapidly, it's going to be a long time to get to 2%. And, you know, we really don't, we talk about year over year inflation. We really don't start getting those good comps until April. So we still have four or five months where inflation will come down most likely, but it's not going to drop like a rock. Starting April, May, June, it may start coming down a little quicker. The other thing is the Fed looks at PCE inflation, not CPI. I know we focus a lot on CPI, and it is highly correlated with PCE. PCE comes out, is it today or tomorrow? Yeah, it's 7.30 this morning. Yeah, so it comes out this morning. And we made note of the, and a few other people did too, that the last CPI number was skewed because of a quirk with health and insurance. And that that drove the number below expectations. Mm-hmm. PCE will not have that same quirk. So yeah, today and, will be just, interesting. And, PCE may not be as positive as CPI was. Right. And just and just so I just so people are kind of aware of what you're saying, uh, the PCE this morning is expected to come in. Uh, so previous was 0.3. It's expected to come in at 0.5. So actually stronger than it was last month. And that's really kind of across the board. We're seeing, you know, kind of this stronger expectation. PCE is expected to be about over 5%, um, you know, on this read. So again, to your point, you know, we may see an uptick in PCE, which all of a sudden could reverse this whole market rally from yesterday as people go, oh my gosh, inflation's a lot stronger than we thought. And in terms of what the Fed's looking at, 
now we're going back to talk about 75 basis point hike in December, maybe. So it'll it'll depend on what happens with that number. But you know that you know these markets are jumping from one headline to the next, which is one thing that and and something we'll talk about in the next segment, which is kind of trading where we are right now. We've had this huge rally, and we keep trading off these one reports to the next. Is the employment report good or bad? And, you know, bad news is good news, good news is bad news type thing. So, you know, we may, you know, one of the, the risk here for investors is that we get a stronger than expected inflation report. CPI pops up next month for some reason going into the Fed meeting. Um, you know, we could see a sharp market reversal. So it's still a dangerous market. And I think the, the, the key takeaway here is that while the market rallied sharply yesterday, we're not out of the woods yet. So you just need to be, you know, this isn't a time to be getting uber bullish and jumping into the markets. Uh, doesn't mean that if markets start doing better, and we'll, like I said, we'll talk about this after the break, Mike and I will put a trading position on in the portfolio, but we still do that with a lot of risk controls and, and concerns because, we're still hiking, you know, and this is the big takeaway, Mike. I mean, despite what Jerome Powell said, they're still hiking rates. They're still tightening monetary policy and they're still doing QT. That hasn't changed at all. Right. He didn't say we're going to stop right. any of this. Right. And that's, you know, so now we have to think about technicals versus fundamentals. And we, you know, that's something we can yeah. continue on about. So, you know, one of the, you know, as we get ready to kind of wrap up this segment, uh, two things. One, Mike has a new article out talking a little bit about monetary liquidity. Um, it's on the website now. came out yesterday. It's there for you this morning at realinvestmentadvice.com. While you're there, also feel free to send us an email. Any questions or comments that you've got, just simply click on the Ask a Question button. Always happy to answer your questions. Do that every single day. Um, but get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. We'll come back, talk about trading this market where we are right now uh, in light of kind of what happened yesterday. Um, and, and what you should be worried about, I guess worried is not the right word, but the thing to be looking out for uh, as we move into the end of the year and into early next year. Don't go away. Be right back after the break with Michael Leibowitz. Investment Advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. In 1999, a parafiduciary group of financial advisors were busted by corporate giants for trying to operate in their clients' best interest. These men promptly escaped from a high cost margin environment to the Houston Energy Corridor. Today, still excoriated by their former employers, they survive as protectors of others' fortunes. If you have a problem about preserving capital, if no one else can help, and you can find them right here, maybe you should hire the RIA team. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. Welcome back to the show this morning. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. You, you know, if you live in if you live in Houston, particularly Texas, you'll be familiar with uh, Jim Adler. He's the Texas Hammer, yeah. right? On insurance, Michael Leibowitz <laughs> needs a needs a nickname, right? Like Michael Leibowitz, Chicken Nuggets. <laughs> Come on, <laughs> the Maryland Mauler. <laughs> 
Perhaps I'll a, come up with one. I'll have it for next week. The Lance. lever. <laughs> Something. <laughs> the doorstop. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, back to work this morning. Um, so uh, talking a little bit about, so yesterday markets rallied nicely. Now we're above the 200-day moving average. Again, you know, don't get overly excited about that. Now you're going to see a lot of articles out over the next day or two. The bull market's back. In fact, there was one out this morning. The Dow's back in a bull market, right? It's up 20% from its lows. These are the 20% movements in one direction or the other do not define bull or bear markets anymore, right? Now, back in the day, when we had normal markets, that was the case because a 20% move would change the, the, the trend of the market from either positive to negative or negative to positive. That's no longer the case anymore. So what defines a bull market or a bear market is what is the trend of prices doing? And the trend of prices remains positive. Even with the correction this year, we have not violated the trend of the market going back of 2009. So the bull market trend is still very much intact. Um, if you uh, put up a chart of uh, pull up a chart of the S&P 500, put a 40 week moving average on it, you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. It's just a very clear upward trend in the markets. Markets bounces very nicely right off that support here um, back in September. So again, bull markets very much intact at this point. So we've had this nice correction. Markets are rallying. Um, as of yesterday, we'll be down roughly about 10% for the year. Not a terrible thing, right? Um, and considering you were up 26% last year. So just keeping things in perspective. Seems terrible, though, because this market's been all over the place this year, right? It's been very challenging. Um, but again, we were here back in March. We got 3% above the 200-day moving average back in March. That then failed as the Federal Reserve was really starting to crank up rate hikes and talk about QT and those type of things. Now, um, where markets are, again, above the 200-day moving average. Is this time going to be different? Will we be getting, you know, a, a continued rally from here? Have we put the bottom of the market in? This is going to be the big question, the hot debate over the next few days is, you know, can we now officially say this correction this year is now over and we're moving forward? You know, it would be a, a, a better situation if we weren't overbought and very extended now in the markets. Um, it'd be easier to say, yes, that is the case. And as we were talking about just for the break, the Fed is still hiking rates and still doing QT. So as we move into the end of the year, there's certainly some, some biases that tend to uh, help markets perform better as we go into the end of the year, window dressing, these type of things. January tends to have a lot of money inflows. We talked about yesterday. Tends to be supportive of, of higher asset prices. But once we get past that, you know, I think we have to start talking about how markets react next year. And you know, this is kind of the thing that Mike and I are going to be really kind of focusing on more and more over the next few weeks uh, in terms of our portfolios. You know, there's a potential here that there's a setup for a trade heading into the end of the year. And we may very well put on a trading position for that. That's not outside the realm of possibility um, to take advantage of that, particularly as we move into that, san that seasonal kind of Santa Claus rally period. But once we get beyond that, as I said, I think things get a lot more challenging. And, Mike, that's kind of the, the big issue next year is that while markets are rallying, they seem to be really kind of 
you know, banking on this idea that we won't have a recession next year, yet no matter kind of what indicator you look at, the Chicago PMI yesterday down to 35, historically, you only see that in recessions. 80% um, of the yield curve is now inverted across, you know, all different measures of the yield curves. Those are now inverted. Even our own indicators, the 10 that we track, 70% of those are inverted. Anytime you're above 50%, that's almost, that's historically been a very accurate indicator of a coming recession. But the markets are acting like, hey, we're going to avoid one this time. Is is that really kind of a possibility? Uh, you know, it, this is this is where life gets difficult for us, Lance. Fundamentally, if all we had were fundamentals, we never saw the stock market. We never got to look at what the stock market's doing. I would say to be very overly cautious. Fundamentally, mm -hmm. the problem is it's it's probably more important to look at technicals, look at what the market's doing. And technically, we are starting to get close to levels that that are bullish. We're you know where we can break the 200-day moving average, like you said. Mm -hmm. We are there are other indicators. We're going to break. We're potentially breaking a trend line that has stopped the market this whole year. I think three different other times. So technically, things get pretty interesting here. But fundamentally, they're really tough. And it's by fundamentally. The economy will almost certainly slow down. Whether we go to a recession or not, we don't know. But it's certainly going to slow down because, as we've always talked about, those lag effects are just starting. The 475 rate basis point, 74, 75 basis point rate hikes that we've seen four in a row, the first one is just starting to hit the market. We haven't even felt the effect of the large portion of what the Fed do has done. The Fed is still going to raise rates by another one to one and a quarter, maybe one and a half. QT is still going on. And, you know, one of the, the, the lessons that investors have learned, don't fight the Fed. That that applies both ways. Don't fight the Fed means that when the Fed is pulling liquidity out of the system, you stand, you stand, you stand aside, you're cautious, you let the Fed pull liquidity. But when the Fed is adding liquidity, Mar late March of 2020, for instance, when things could not be more dire on a fundamental basis, the Fed started adding liquidity, the government started adding liquidity, and you don't fight the Fed. As bad as the situation looked, you don't fight it, and you bought stocks. Um, so, but 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 yeah. real quick, real quick though, though, isn't that kind of the interesting thing, right? Though, right now, though, Mike, you're you're absolutely right. You know, for the last decade it's been don't fight the fed as long as the fed's doing qe you buy stocks and now it's interesting the fed's hiking rates are continuing to hike rates they're reducing qt and yet the market's trying to every every moment the market's looking for some excuse to rally because they keep hoping the fed is going to you know all of a sudden stop and pivot and turn and 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 stop hiking rates you know there's almost this fomo of missing the bottom Versus the FOMO, the fear of missing out when markets were going up. You know, you just had to keep buying stocks because you were worried about the market going up without you. Now everybody's worried about trying to miss the bottom because the Fed might pivot. So in all intents and purposes, the Fed, you know, the markets are fighting the Fed every step of the way this year. Right. Well, traditionally, when the fundamentals look bad, the non-monetary policy fundamentals, that meant the Fed was getting closer to easing or starting to ease, sure. lowering rates, maybe even embarking on QE. This time we have inflation. We haven't dealt with inflation since, you know, Lance and I were riding our bikes to high school. <laughs> um, 
So it's a very different environment. And and Powell continues to tell us very bluntly that employment is a problem, that we our unemployment rate is too low. Powell is telling us that we need a higher unemployment rate and we're not getting it. The the labor numbers, ADP was a little weaker, but we still added a hundred and I forgot the number, 127,000 jobs. Mm -hmm, right. It's not it's not robust, but it's still we added 127,000 jobs. And, you know, we can nitpick about what industries and the strength of it, but we're still adding jobs in a very tight labor market. Joltz just came out and said we still have the number of job openings is off the record, but still well above anything we had seen prior to COVID. Mm -hmm. And and, again, and, I still, and by I the way, I still have I have a lot of questions about how that Joltz number is calculated because it's so right. it's so distorted from anything historically in in that data. Right. You, you almost have to ask is like, you know, what did we create an extra two million businesses during the pandemic that we didn't weren't aware of before? I mean, there just seems to be some anomalies in that data that I think have to get worked out over time. Well, and I think there's anomalies in all this data yeah. making it very difficult. But at the end of the day, some of the like jobless claims, you know, we're, we're seeing it deteriorate a little continuing claims are rising, but there's nothing that tells me people are being laid off in masses. You know, you, certainly we see these announcements, especially from some of the tech companies, mm -hmm. but they're not that many jobs. The tech industry does not actually employ a huge percentage of employees in this country. That's Walmart. <laughs> look, look, when it starts, it could get bad. But yeah. right now, all I'm saying is the labor market is tight and, you know, we can debate on how to measure it, but it's tight. And that's Powell's biggest fear right now. Yeah. And so 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 we have this juggling act that I think is going to be very difficult on us, Lance, for the next, you know, maybe it ends today. You know, maybe, you know, we're right near the 200. And like I said, we're right near a resistance line. Maybe that once again, those two points provide the downdraft and the market kind of gives up yesterday's gains, which we have seen big gains followed by big losses. Yeah. Um, we'll come back. We'll finish up this conversation with Michael Leibowitz. Um, you're kind of positioning for next year. We'll talk a little bit about seasonality and, you know, kind of what happens once we get past the first quarter of 2023 and what may be the expectation to be looking out for. Talk about that. Come back from the break. Don't go away. Investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. In 1999, a parafiduciary group of financial advisors were busted by corporate giants for trying to operate in their clients' best interest. These men promptly escaped from a high cost margin environment to the Houston Energy Corridor. Today, still excoriated by their former employers, they survive. 
as protectors of others' fortunes. If you have a problem about preserving capital, if no one else can help, and you can find them right here, maybe you should hire the RIA team. The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. I'm Mills Lance Roberts. Michael Lee, but showing me this morning, talking a little bit about markets. Real quick for the break, uh, during the break, Bryn asked me, he says, what is, is JOLTS an acronym, an acronym or is it, a, is it a word, right? I said, no, JOLTS, it stands for Job Opening and Labor Turnover Survey, which is interesting because there's a story out this morning about the SHART, which is an acronym. For the Synthetic Human Acoustic Reproduction Testing Machine, it is a machine developed by Anakal and Maya Gatlin, an aerospace engineer at Georgia Tech Research Institute. Another acronym, GTRI, by the way. Yes. Uh, they created a mechanical device loaded with pumps, nozzles, and tubes meant to recreate the physics and sounds of human bodily function. In other words, they are now stuttering, studying farts because they think that farts tell you a whole lot more about your health than what most people attribute to it. So they've created a machine called the SHART to do that. So when you hear the word SHART, you know it stands for Synthetic Human Acoustic Reproduction. They actually think that they can stop an outbreak of like things like cholera or other things in its tracks by studying human flatulence. Analyzing the flatulence. Yes. Yes. Of course, this brings up the big question about cows. Mm-hmm. You know, we're trying to stop cows from flatulating because of the methane. Right. Which is why we can't eat cows now. Right. So I don't know. Anyway, I think I'm going to stick with the finance industry. (laughs) I don't know how I got through life without knowing that little nugget. Yes, there's always interesting tidbits out there for you. Just have to know where to look. And we bring them to you right here on this show. You don't get them anywhere else but here. Uh, Okay. (laughs) It's the long and the short of it. (laughs) Correct. So as we move into the end of the year, um, two things are going to happen. And, and again, you know, we have a lot of things that we talk about in the markets. We talk about the Santa Claus rally. We talk about the first five days of January. We talk about the month of January. So goes the month of January. So goes the year. So goes the first five days of January. So goes the month. We have all these different things, right? We have the NFL Super Bowl indicator, So we have all these things that basically try to align and explain why certain things happen in the markets. This is that month, right? We're going to be, you're going to be hearing a lot of conversation about the Santa Claus rally that's coming. And historically, the last couple of weeks of December tend to be seasonally strong. Why? It's not just because Santa Claus is coming to town. It's because mutual funds, pension funds, hedge funds, they have to do year-end reporting, and they want to make sure that they have all the right stocks on their books going into the end of the year. So when they report, they need to make sure they've got all those right positions. So yesterday is a good example of this. We had a very strong tech rally. You know, the idea of slower rates, slower economic growth, that's all good for growth stocks, which tend to have stronger earnings growth than your traditional big kind of manufacturing mature companies. And so money kind of flowed into that area yesterday. Big move in tech stocks yesterday. Um, So again, if those stocks continue to perform here over the next couple of weeks, we could see some additional buying of those going into the year as these mutual funds want to make sure they've got a full allocation to tech going into the end of the year. Um, 
on their books. So when they when those quarter four reports come out that nobody reads, they'll be on there. Then, of course, January, you have more money inflows in the month of January than any other month of the year combined. Just a massive amount of money flows into the markets in January. 401k contributions, 529 plans, uh, pension funds, you know, all kinds of stuff ha happens in January. So lots of monetary inflows. And this is typically why coming out of that Santa Claus rally, if you have one, if you have a Santa Claus rally, you, that typically spills over into January as portfolio managers are making sure they've got their allocation set up for the year, right, where they think the market's going to go, particularly with these funds that index more than anything else. So there's some reasons why markets could rally here over the next couple of weeks, and particularly in, into the beginning of the year. That has to do with seasonality of flows and window dressing. really doesn't have that much to do with the fundamentals of the markets. It's more about, as I said, window dressing and positioning. Now, once we get past January, things get a little bit more challenging. And this is going to be the, the thing that Mike and I are going to be talking a lot about next year. Um, as Mike mentioned, these rate hikes. So we, we've had a, a 25 basis point hike in March. Then you had a 50 basis point hike. Then four 75 basis point hikes. The majority of those, and you know, Mike said that maybe only one of the 75 basis point hikes are priced in. I'm not even sure that's the case. Generally, there's a 9 to 12 month lag. The first 75 basis point hike was in June. So I'm not even sure that one's in. But, you know, the, the previous 75, let's say that, right? The 25 and the 50, that's in. There's still a lot of rate hikes not priced into this market. There's also the rate hikes the Fed's going to continue to do. And that impact on the consumer, which leads to slower economic growth next year. Question, of course... And, and as Mike mentioned, you know, whether or not we have a recession, that's going to be the thing. But, Mike, you know, when I look at the data, you know, whether it's the, the manufacturing indexes, whether it's the inverted yield curves, you know, it, it seems hard to imagine how we avert a recession at this point. And, and there really isn't such a thing as a soft landing, by the way. There's either recession or not. And, you know, while the Fed is worried about over tightening, you know, this has been the fastest, most aggressive series of rate hikes in the Fed's history going back to the 1970s. And it's almost, you know, I find it hard to think that they haven't already over tightened. They just don't realize it yet. I, I agree 100 percent. I can't. It's really difficult to come up with a soft landing scenario. It's extreme. It's impossible to come up with a very bullish economic scenario. Mm -hmm. I think soft landing you know, I don't see how it happens, but that that should be the most optim optimistic scenario, something where growth slows to one percent, one and a half percent for the next three or four quarters, something mm -hmm. like that throughout 2023. That's the best scenario we have, you know, barring something, you know, different. Now, right. granted, the last two years have been everything that we've never seen before. So. <laughs> Who knows what 2023 is going to bring us? But it's a very it's a very tough scenario with the Fed rate hikes that are just slowly being factored into this market. So I think, you know, the possibility is that that some of this data starts coming in much weaker than expected in very short order. So, like you said, Chicago PMI was well below was basically at levels where in which recessions typically troughed. Right. They, you know, the bottoms. Um, 
we're seeing other indicators that are starting to come down. So I think the signs of, of a recession or certainly a slowdown are upon us. But inflation makes it very difficult, like retail sales, for like mm-hmm. Black Friday sales. Right. They were up one or two percent from a year ago. Well, the, the media said, that's great. Look, everyone's still buying. They're buying more than they bought last year. Well, what they didn't tell you was that inflation was six or seven or eight percent. Mm-hmm. So what people bought was inflation. They actually bought less goods than they bought the year before. What they also don't tell you is that the savings rate is now at 20 plus year lows and credit card growth of credit card debt is at 20 plus year highs. Mm -hmm. So what's going on? Consumers are trying to keep up with their spending. They're doing the best they can, but they they drew down their savings already. That's gone. And they're they're massively turning to credit card debt, which has a very limited shelf life. So I think once we get past Christmas, once we get past all the holiday spending, Consumers, which already don't spend in January and February because they overspent in November and December, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I think that's possibly where we hit a brick wall with the consumer. And personal consumption is almost two thirds of GDP. So I, I think the risk that this recession starts showing its ugly face will probably be probably March because it takes a while for that data to flow through. You know, the, the January, February retail sales data will be given in February, March. So, right. uh, you know, like everything, it just takes a while for the data. So, you know, we may be looking at it end of the first quarter, early second quarter, sharp hit to the economy. Yeah. And we may just stay in this what appears to be Goldilocks land for another <laughs> couple months. Yeah. And, you know, Brent took offense to the fact that you called a recession ugly face. So, um, you know. <laughs> The uh, you know one of the the things and as you know and again you know what we talk about these seasonalities and, and and look this is the hard part about managing money. Again, like Mike said, if we were solely just looking at fundamentals, if you know, if everybody would just settle down and just say, hey, look, just just manage based on fundamentals, then you know pretty much we'd be mostly in cash right now because fundamentals really aren't great anywhere you look. Economic fundamentals, company fundamentals, etc. Uh, there's a few exceptions here and there, but by and large, companies are still overvalued relative to where they should be. But, you know, unfortunately, we don't have that luxury. And so we have to manage portfolios for what's going on in the markets. And look, while we're talking about a Santa Claus rally, the first five days of January, these seasonal things that tend to happen more often than not, doesn't mean they always happen, right? We've had negative Decembers. 2018 is a good example, right? Had big sell-off going into December, Fed had to reverse course, start trying to, you know, figure out how to get the markets back up and running, you know, after the whole, you know, comments that in, in the midst of they're tightening their balance sheet back in 2018. So there's certainly cases this year as a good example, right? The, the January, the month of January wasn't great and neither has been the rest of the year. So these things tend to occur. So we have to navigate these things for what they are. And, and while we're talking about these concerns, and this is going to be the big disconnect that you're going to have to be aware of. Mike and I are talking about these big concerns economically, right? But if the markets are bullish, we've got to trade the market. So, you, you know, you you have to separate out, Mike, why are you buying stock here if you have such a poor outlook for the economy? Because the markets are going up and we have to participate. We have to make money for our clients. We watch this other stuff because it's important as it tends to lead where markets wind up 
in the future. And that's how we manage risk. So always be sure and separate the two and not try to lump those together. And this is one mistake that a lot of investors make. Okay, that wraps up the show for the day. Mike, thank you so much. We'll be back here on Monday to pick up uh, Danny Ratliff, Richard Rosso here tomorrow talking about financial fitness. Be sure by the website, get Mike's latest article. And Richard Rosso's reading list, it's on the website now, realinvestmentadvice.com. Send your questions and comments, always happy to help. realinvestmentadvice.com. See you tomorrow.